Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Dwayne. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sammy. And this week, we are doing one of my picks. In the middle of our Spielberg month, we're bringing it back to a movie directed by Spielberg, not just story by. We have a great novel by Ernest Cline. Story by Zach Penn and Ernest Klein, directed by Steven Spielberg, 2018's Ready Player One. Gentlemen, in the future, Will Wheaton is president of the Oasis. (laughs) The entire world is on the hinges of this video game. Everyone's searching for an Easter egg. To roll the oasis. <laughs> I don't. I don't know where to go after that. <laughs> well, well, what I think is interesting about this about this movie, and I'm sure we'll get into it some, is that this thing was pretty well maligned. I mean, this is. I was surprised at the sort of the the common reaction to this movie, and I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But it seemed like there was a lot of backlash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you had this very much beloved book that had been trying to be turned into a movie for ages and ages, it seems like. And then when it does get made into a movie, you have this phenomenal, who better could you get for a pop culture movie than Steven Spielberg? Who better could you get to tell this massive, epic story than Steven Spielberg? But yeah, there was quite a few uh, thoughts about this movie. But before we get into our thoughts and grades, let's talk about some pop culture we've been getting into with our Keeping It 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. And I'm leading off. Uh, this week, I, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about something that we've talked about before. I don't know if it's ever been a Keeping 100, but I know we've talked about it a bit. Back in 2002, 2003, there was this little bitty TV show that everyone thought could, but it couldn't. Had a great cast of characters, a great storyline, and it got canceled. In 2005, they made a movie about it. Well, I filmed that movie first. But this week, I introduced the show to my family, Firefly. We started watching episode one of Firefly and already in love with it. And, you know, what a great group of characters. Alan Tudyk, Nathan Philly, Gina Torres, uh, Adam Baldwin, Ron Glass, you know, Summer Glau, and uh, Kaylee. She's, she's, she'll always be Kaylee to me. Uh, I don't even know her real name. But, uh, yeah, Firefly has... has uh, Landed at the house, and we are having a blast with it. So can't wait to get into some more. All right. Sammy, you're up next. You're allowed to speak. Okay. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, just, I was just sitting here, here wondering how Dwayne's going to navigate the Monica Baccarin character. <laughs> <laughs> that was a conversation. That that was already a conversation because I forgot the first episode. She's, you know, (laughs) performing business. What does she do? I have a 10 year old asking, What does she do? I was like, She, uh, (laughs) the wife's companionship. 
Yep, go ahead. <laughs> it's on you. <laughs> oh, all right. I, I'm, I'm sorry. As he was describing that, that's where my mind went. I was like, how's he explaining this one to the boys? <laughs> Love it. All right, gentlemen. I'll go ahead and start my keeping 100. And it's going to be short this week. And it's perfect because my recommendation is an animated short on Disney Plus. There's a fantastic little mashup of pop culture universes, just like this movie. The Good, the Bart, and the Loki uh, places the God of Lies in the middle of Springfield. Um, if you are a fan of both the MCU and the Simpsons, I mean, this is right up your alley. It is such a humorous look at what Disney can really do when they decide to play a little fast and loose with the IPs. So, um, and, you know, Tom Hiddleston actually voices Loki for this. So I would check it out. Uh, it's, like I said, it's funny. It's this great mashup. And that's why the good, the Bart, and the Loki on Disney Plus is this week's Keeping It 100. I saw that on Disney Plus. I'm like, <laughs> hey, it's interesting. It's, it's pretty funny. It, it, I, I, I got a kick out of it. And it plays a lot with the Marvel lore and incorporates those, those classic Springfield characters from Moe to, you know, comic book guy to everybody. So it's just great. So. <laughs> I am riding drag on this herd. And so, and that is Western terminology for my herds out there. Um, <laughs> Um, here we go, and I am vamping because my phone is not ready. Here we go. All right, um, I am going to be Captain Obvious this week, and I am going to uh, pitch Black Widow. Um, I finally watched it. It took me a minute to find some time to do the do the whole dive in, and you know it's not the best of the best of the MCU. Um, it's not on the MCU Mount Rushmore, but man, it was a really good flick. It was a very entertaining way to spend a couple hours. It's a solid, you know, espionage story, and it's a lot funnier than I expected. Especially, especially Florence Pugh. She was hilarious. Um, <laughs> I love whenever she's just talking about um, <laughs> we're just talking about her being a uh, her being a poser. Uh, I'm not gonna get into that, but that's a whole hilarious uh, thing going. The cast was great. David Harbour is a national treasure in any accent. Um, Florence Pugh stole every scene she was in and pretty much stole the entire movie. Um, Scarlett Johansson was Scarlett Johansson. She is her normal, uh, awesome self. Story was a little ham-fisted, a little bit half-baked. Couple of, you know, parts of the plot could have been thought through a little bit better. But like another movie I watched recently, I might be talking about in a few minutes, it was a really good time. Black Widow's my keeping it 100. Yeah, um, it's a great movie. I do feel like it was the passing of the baton, so to speak. And, and I hated that a little bit just because I feel like Black Widow finally got a moment to shine after 10 years. And it was just kind of a way to say, hey, bye. 
<laughs> yeah, if it, if this had come out between Civil War, yes, and Infinity War, somewhere in there, it would have it would have fit better, and it would I think it would have had a better re- reaction to it. I think so, yes. But it's a really good flick, and it's just a really good time. Yep, and it sure. on and it is way funnier than any of the trailers gave it credit for. And, and D- Dave Harbor <laughs> is just amazing. <laughs> He, he's just, he's so funny and so charming. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, he's just great. So. <laughs> I, I don't know how to say anymore without giving anything away. Yeah. See that, that's the thing. I've tried not to say a whole lot, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty good. I enjoyed that watch too, Jamie. So good. Well, I know, uh, I know we're holding off on a few things for uh, for each other, and uh, Black Widow is one of the things I haven't seen yet. Yes. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to getting into that hopefully very soon. Well, if you, but uh, but if, you, if you do the math, you've got to, you and I both have not, you know, small families. You're going to save money doing that Disney premiere access thing. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've really I'm such a fan of a theater. Uh, I'm such a fan of getting out there and and, and you know supporting that and, and experiencing it in a theater. No, I, I'm I'm wondering too what the uh, actual experience is going to be like now that things are you know kind of open back up, even with what restrictions we have. Um, so I've really been debating that premiere access versus a theater, and uh, yeah, I'm I, really been debating that. Yeah, I, I feel you. It was I mean I sort of had to like. Uh, rather watch this on the big screen, but I, I'm not getting anywhere near a theater anytime soon. Not because I'm yeah. afraid of anything. Just life's crazy right now. Yeah. And well, but, I, but I need to see it. I, I didn't know when I was going to have time to like you know because I'm not going to throw shade at anybody near us, but like I prefer a theater a little bit further away. And yeah. I didn't know when I was going to have time to trek out there, spend the two and a half hours watching the movie. Back, I mean, I, just, I couldn't find the time. So I was like, I'll buy the bullet, you know. Exactly. Maybe, maybe you have a little bit lesser of an experience, but it's it's such a good movie that it was okay. I mean, I okay. I, I wasn't mad that I didn't see it on the big screen. Well, um, hmm. giving me an idea here. I've got a hundred inch screen and a nice driveway and a projector. This may work out. <laughs> <laughs> so. BYOP, bring your own popcorn. Uh, but we do have a movie we need to give some thoughts and grades to, guys. Sammy, why don't you lead us out with uh, your opening thoughts and grades on this adaptation of Ready Player One? All right. Here's the thing. Growing up, I would love to pair all my action figures together in an ultimate universe. Skeletor and Cobra Commander would battle Optimus Prime and Luke Skywalker. Ready Player One, both the book and the movie, gave me the opportunity to see these types of events really happen. And, you know, this is like geek Halloween and Christmas all rolled into one. (laughs) Um, I do realize that there was a lot of complaints with the movie because there are a, a number of changes from the book. Um, you know, but over the years, I think I've learned to separate movies and books into two very distinct creative outlets. Um, I'm, I'm not as, as picky as maybe I used to be. So Ready Player One for me is like this nostalgia buffet. And I've shown up with this voracious appetite and I'm ready to watch this thing. Um, 
And honestly, watching it this time even spurred me to try to get back and read Ready Player Two again. Wish me luck. Uh, but as far as the movie grade, gentlemen, this this is my nostalgia train A plus. Okay, well, I'm up next. Uh, I guess I'm going to be Debbie Downer again. That's okay. <laughs> um, but this is a really entertaining movie. It's a spectacle to look at. It's got flaws. They're all over the place. Sammy's got nostalgia goggles on. I can't see him. Um, <laughs> and it, this is not going to be on Spielberg's Mount Rushmore. Um, it's not going to be among the top movies. When, when we look back on Spielberg's career, this is not going to come up in the first you know, essay or whatever. Um, but man, it's just a lot of fun. It's a great way to distract yourself for a couple of hours. There's a little bit of interest, interesting, like thematic stuff going on. Um, but it's a, it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. It's a, it's a solid B movie. I like it. Don't love it. Well, I'm very, very, um, in one of these camps opposed to the other one. Uh, you know, when you read the book, you know, it's it's a lot like some other books that have been adapted. You know, Lord of the Rings trilogy really took the spirit of that story and brought it to the screen. Some stuff was changed. Some stuff didn't appear. Some stuff appears differently. But you get the true heart and soul of that story. It's probably one of the best adaptations spirit wise now if you're looking for a straight page to page to scene adaptation i think the da vinci code really nails that it's probably one of the closest adaptations uh to the book that i've ever seen and you look at ready player one you're like how can this be you have so much ip you have so much going on you have so much uh, you know you have challenges that are okay recite war games <laughs> okay, how do you insert this into a movie, you know, and make it remotely entertaining? You know, much like some of these dialogues that you would have in you know, Lord of the Rings or other movies that, that are having to be changed. So, you know, things had to be changed. It, this movie, this is the only way that this movie could have been made. You couldn't have paid for all of these licenses. No studio could have brought that IP in. I don't even think Disney could have done it. But, uh, I think they've done an excellent job of transposing the heart of the story and what it is. Sometimes it gets a little too arcadey. Sometimes it gets a little too, you know, real worldy. But it's a good, solid, fun story. Jamie, I'm landing with you in the B territory. It's definitely got its flaws. But if you, you know, if you want to tune in, turn off, and just see some beautiful eye candy. A lot of great, you know, characters you see for a second here and there, you know, sprinkled mm -hmm. throughout. It's 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 rich. You can watch it time and time again. And oh, I see this. Oh, I see that. Oh, I see this. I see. Oh, look over there's that guy. You know, and just the locations and the story is so much fun. Um, I'm, I'm B. It's this thing. Good, but not great. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and you know Spielberg, here. you know he. Let me, I don't think let me adjust my goggles real quick here. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely want to definitely want to get those uh, goggles adjusted. I think uh, Sammy I think was definitely. Up a 
I think I think Sammy was definitely looking at the world of the Oasis instead of the stacks. So <laughs> uh, when when he was reviewing uh, this with his grade, which you know the stacks really seemed like they could use some fans to get the funk out. So guys, let's go get our fans and maybe talk about some good that this movie has. <laughs> So here we go. Jamie, take us out the gate. Okay, mine is... Um, <laughs> it's real obvious. This movie's a lot of fun. It just is. I mean, we start off with like this, you know, crazy death race slash twisted metal style video game. And it's just, I mean, the book was fun in a very different way. And it was a lot, a lot of it was the fun of, hey, remember this thing? That was that. That was awesome, wasn't it? And like... And like every few pages, like or every few paragraphs, like I remember that thing. That was awesome too. Um, and it was fun. It was fun thinking about all the things that we enjoyed getting mashed together. You couldn't film that. I mean, that book could not be filmed. And if they did film it, it would have bored us to tears. It just visually, it wouldn't have been interesting. And the way it was literally interesting. But they found a way to keep like the nerdiness of the book and turn it into a visually dynamic, interesting fun movie so i mean like <laughs> was it war games or was it ferris bueller i forget the movie they had to recite every word of it was war games, war games. it was it was some matthew broderick movie <laughs> it was yeah um that would have bored us to tears um even just a clip show of him doing that that wouldn't have been interesting so but just to have him go through the adventure through the overlook hotel and the shining have h be scared all that, that was great that was way more visually interesting that would have been to do the other way Having the car chase, the race at the beginning, King Kong chasing, you know, a DeLorean. I mean, come on. That was a blast to watch. And so, but it still has that nerdiness on every single, you know, second of screen time. And so I love that they they, they captured the fun and adapted it for a visual medium in just a great way. And that's that's my fan. Yeah. I'm surprised your fan wasn't the, uh, wasn't the Harkonnen dropship in uh, H's <laughs> lunchbox there. And there's a firefly. <laughs> yeah, there's a firefly, the battle star, you know, all oh, those yeah. little Easter eggs yep. that you've, there's you know, a lot those of little, good stuff in there. all those little fun stuff. You know, and that's what my fan is really, is all of the visual candy, all of the vibrancy. Um, I look at your background, Jamie, uh, of the war on planet doom, you know, and, and just all of the, the the candy that you see there, all of the robots. You, know, you had Mechagodzilla fighting Gundam. You have the Iron Giant there. Ninja Turtles. Halo Master Chiefs. You know, all of these, you know, characters are just, you know, running throughout. I mean, you have a ninja and a shogun fighting side by side. You have, you know, H, this giant, uh, character that's you know mechanized in the middle that kind of stretches up and down and kind of does all this cool stuff um you know artemis and percival kind of your human characters but they still have that almost comic book coloring to their faces you know the texture almost uh, of the skins uh, you know uh Oh, what's T.J. Miller's character with the, the see-through rock with the see-through uh, skull? I mean, you know how visually 
dynamic is this movie that it just it just keeps your eyes glued to the screen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So so gentlemen, let let me just go ahead and do my fan because I think I can sum this up. I can sum up everything you both said. Ready Player One is a nerdy Where's Waldo. <laughs> and that is exactly what it is. There are just and that's my fan. You know, I every time I watch this movie, I find myself paying more attention to background, paying more attention to um, little things uh, that, you know, I got the story. I've watched it enough. I've read the book, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I truly love it. Um, and, and it's just those quick scenes, those little things with these op, these awesome properties, whether it be, uh, you know, Freddy Krueger in one of the PVPs or Jason or Chucky from the horror realm. And then you throw in all the Arkham Batman people. Um, there's just all this stuff. I mean, guys, there is a TARDIS in the background. <laughs> okay. Of H's, you know, workshop. Okay. That is a 11th or 12th doctor TARDIS. Uh, it's just I just from the first watch up until this one, I just I, I've loved all those little moments. You know, I can just see it. And this is one of those I would just love to go through scene by scene by scene and just look, you know, I, I would totally zapruder this thing. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really if, if I didn't have any responsibilities in my life. And I had just 18 hours to just waste frame by frame. There's oh, going to yeah. be something interesting. Non-stop. Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, and like you said, even the, the models that H had, I mean, all of those, I mean, it's just amazing. To, to just, the, the, I guess the, the level of nerdiness, I think, gentlemen, this is probably the literally nerdiest movie we've ever reviewed. <laughs> I mean, hands it, 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 it was aspiring to be here. Yeah. I think Planet Doom is the pinnacle of that, though, because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just I can't catch it all. I mean, every time I watch it, I find more and more stuff, like more and more characters, more and more. I mean, vehicles, monsters. I just keep finding more on Planet Doom every time I watch it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, you're ready to uh, cast a little bit of shade on this. I guess so. Let's go get some pans. All right. I'm up first with uh, the pans here. And really, the most blaring thing with this movie happens from the very beginning is never rectified. We have, you know, Wade... Parcival coming down from the stacks and he's laying out and he's telling you all about the world we're in. And then he gets into his van. He, he shows you the rig, puts on the goggles and you go into the world, but something never happens. We never see the ready player one come up as they go into the Oasis, which was the title of the book. The big one of the big huge points of the book, you know, as they go into, you know, yeah, when you log in, just like these old arcade games, Ready Player One. But you never see that. And that really, you know, 
kind of bothered me a little a little bit because it was almost like they had missed that little bit of the story that's almost so so core you know it, it there was so much pop culture that they had to squeeze in here that that would have been such a simple thing at least the first time you're putting their goggles on ready player one okay go then you populate in world and you could do that with like in three seconds. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that was such a such a thing. You know, and and it doesn't. It really, for someone who's not familiar with the book, familiar with the story of what's going on here, it really leaves you like, okay, where does Ready Player One connect to this? And if you're you a know, younger person, you may not have ever experienced yeah, the game. You never, yeah, yeah, you never experienced that. You know, even even with like your old school Nintendo games, you know, some of those would even do it. But you know, you had the uh, you had a holiday laying there with the coins on his eyes, and even my kids, you know, you're younger. Why do it's so why do why do people do that when they die? Why do they put the quarters? You know, why do they put the coins on their eyes? Like, well, you know, the Greeks done it to get across the river. To the afterlife, you know, he's doing it because the quarters to the video games. That's the year he was born. The seventy-two, you know, that's, that's little stuff like that that you almost have to know for it to to matter. You know, their experience with video games is going to Gaddy's and swapping a card. You know, still yeah. <laughs> All right, same. All right. Did you have a pan, Mister? I do, Mister A plus. <laughs> Here we go. This is my biggest pan. I hate that Sorrento's avatar looks like Alex Ross's Superman. I hate it. <laughs> Once again, we get bat bias in this movie. <laughs> the entire bat family is fighting IOI. But you got the Man of Steel, the paragon of good, as the face of the enemy. Sure, Sorrento, that's how he probably sees himself, <laughs> all right? I'm just glad it didn't look like Christopher Reeve, because if it did, the movie would have gotten an F, all right? <laughs> that's just playing and simple. So. <laughs> I, I, had, I had forgotten that part of the story. Uh, even had the little spit curl. The yes. I'm like, yeah, I'm not shocked yes. you had a problem with that. <laughs> and I was just like, what? You know. It's just, just just a personal thing. <laughs> All right, um, mine is is it's 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 a simple thing to say, but it's a problem to the entire movie. Um, this thing feels like a highlight reel. It doesn't feel like a complete story. Um, it feels like whoever was doing the adaptation of the book to the to the movie like found the high points of the mo- of the book. Like we gotta hit, we gotta hit these things, and let's string together just enough to make sure we get to these high points. And and so, but it does. It hits those high points, but it doesn't set them up well enough because we're skipping so so much. And so, like, um, so some of the plot points and the character moments don't feel justified. Um, it's like when they go when they go to the dance club and they're doing the dance scene, and they're supposed to have this amazing connection. He tells her he loves her. I'm like, in the book, it feels a little quick, but they've also spent a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. They've been doing all this hunting together. In the movie, like they've. Well, I spent five minutes together and she threw shade at him at H's workshop and that's about the whole time they spent together, you know? <laughs> they went through the race twice, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that, this is not a justified interaction right now. And But there was a, there was a lot of those things, like these like these moments in the in the movie that like we're, suppo- like we're supposed to feel a certain way. And if you've read the book, you can backfill it yourself. 
But if you haven't read the book and you're just watching the movie, a lot of these things are going to feel like they're coming out of nowhere. They're not set up as well as they should have been. But it's so it's so entertaining that I even got over this and still gave it a B. It's just <laughs> such a fun movie. Even if the things came out of the no came out of nowhere, weren't justified. Kind of you know squint at it a little bit, maybe roll your eyes a little, but it's still so fun. Like this didn't even drag it down for me, but it does feel like a highlight reel. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does at that. Well, much like, uh, you know, the highlight reel you would get from maybe a, your greatest escapades of a sports game, just before you got your awards, let's get us some awards for this movie. Alrighty, leading off with the best performance, Sammy. All right, so classic pole position. Remember, you'd play, and then you you would be on the podium at the end with the trophy, right? Uh, but yeah, so best performance. Um, okay, here's the thing. I hated his avatar, but Ben Mendelsohn, our favorite scroll, really brings Nolan Sorrento to all of his putt slinging life in this movie. Um, you know, I've said this numerous times in our reviews. If I have visceral disgust at an antagonist, then that actor deserves my best performance. Um, I think the thing that really sealed the deal, and I'm like, oh yeah, Mendelssohn gets this one for me, was when the t- the knowledgeable flunky is passing along what to say, and he's like, yeah, I drink tab and watch John Hughes movies. Total putts. So, yeah, but uh, Mendelssohn does it great. <laughs> I, I considered him, but I'm going to have to give mine to Ty Sheridan. Um, he was a leading man, uh, and, you know, as a young guy who hadn't really I don't think, been a leading man before. Um, and it's not just because I'm one of the handful of people that think Cyclops is a great X-Man. Um, but I thought he did a good job leading this movie. Um and he had to do a lot of it with his own charm and charisma because they weren't setting things up very well. We just had to lock him enough that we rolled with it and buy into his personal story, where he was coming from, what he was going through, and what he was learning in the process. And he sold it really well without, without a lot of buildup, without a lot of like, you know, real big character moments. He had to sell it himself with his, you know, the, in the real world, his, his scenes of his own body. But also the mocap performance and his vocal delivery, his vocal performance. He had to sell it, and and he did it. He he, I completely bought him as Wade Watts, and that he was learning the things he was supposed to be learning. So yeah, so Ty Sheridan, I mean, surprised me on this rewatch how 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 well he did in this role. I don't disagree with either of your points. Uh, Ty Sheridan didn't floor me enough to give him best performance though, and uh, Ben Mendelsohn, I didn't like him too much. And couldn't give him best performance, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was he was oh he I couldn't stand him. But anyway, <clears throat> um, I, I really thought uh, a character that grabbed me and really didn't have a ton of screen time to do so 
But but when you saw him on screen, you 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 really understood how difficult and awkward the world was to navigate uh, for someone uh, with 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 his difficulties. Uh, this seemed kind of apparent uh, at times. As Mark Rylance, as James Halliday, you know, he doesn't have a lot of screen time. The whole story is really about him. And we get a lot of, uh, you know, the Avatar Anorak, you know, and, and that's even a much different character than, than, than his Halliday. But he really, uh, you know, just, just grabbed me with his, you know, social difficulty and awkwardness, but genius and, and, and earnestness. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed that, that performance. Cool. I'm glad somebody did. <laughs> that, that was almost my pain. I, I I didn't like the direction they went with Halliday. Really? Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it. It felt it felt like it was a little bit of a far too common, like tropey stereotype. Yeah. Of a yeah. of a person with autism or something, and I, I found it. I, I did. I didn't love the way they played that. And I don't know if it was the actor's decision or Spielberg or whose decision it was. They also like the the way he the the performance was done didn't make sense with some of the things they said that he did. Like the like the way he forced Ogden Morrow out of the company and made him sign over all this stuff. I'm like, there's no way that this guy, the way he's playing Halliday, forced yeah. anybody to do anything ever in his entire life. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. There were things they told us he did that were they just this guy couldn't do that. Yeah, and and you know, I guess you know, experiencing you know people with autism and living uh, with with one, I believe, uh, and you. Know, you it's it's a lot more broad than what you see, you know, portrayed here. And even, you know, a day to day thing, you know, there's such a dynamic uh, at, at times. And, and I know not every uh, person is that way, but um, you know, there 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 are times of of of, of broad broad personality sweeps, uh, you know. But it's still that social awkwardness and that kind of quiet genius that I really took from the the Rylance performance but uh, i can i can see how you know he was he was a little bit of a of a of a wane i guess at, at times <laughs> you know but uh, well it brings us to jamie to best scene why don't you uh, give us the right answer i there's only one thing even close to this in the entire movie but it, i mean it's the shining scene from the second they walk into the overlook and h is you know admits that you know she had never seen this movie in oh like scary movies what, what, what's it about <laughs> yeah and shows like i watched it, yeah, watch it through my fingers you know <laughs> i just and every from that when the blood comes in the hallway the scene with the lady upstairs i mean every bit of it to when they figure out how the ballroom scene works it's it's the high point of the entire movie yeah uh that's exactly the scene i had uh, the shining scene from the moment they walk into that into that overlook through you know just exactly what you said you know the, the, the character interactions there the little adventures they go on uh, and then what's even greater is later you see the IOI war room you know all these people you know doing the hilarious <laughs> craziness trying to get through these these adventures and uh, that that was a ton of fun too but yeah this this shining uh, key. Uh, scene was was my favorite sam all right i'm i'm really glad see that was one of my two so i'm really glad you guys picked that one 
So I get to go with my other one. And there's a particular reason. Mecha Godzilla versus Gundam. I mean, oh my gosh. Yep. And, and what makes that? I mean, I mean, Mecha G fighting a mobile suit. That was just I just I, I was blown away by that. I mean, and I think part of what it was is I think it would be really easy in this movie to really just focus on, you know, pop culture from the States. We got a lot of that. Both of those properties are are, are basically import properties. Mm-hmm. You know, m- maybe not a lot of people have watched Mobile Suit Gundam. Uh, you can watch the first three as movies on uh, what? Netflix right Netflix now. Netflix right now. Yeah, Netflix right now. They're all English dubbed. Um, I've been watching the first one because it had been years and years since I'd seen any of that. Uh, but to throw Gundam up against Mechagodzilla, like I said, and showing this worldwide pop culture, not just, you know, what would be pop culture for the States. I mean, to me, that was just brilliant. I loved that. Yeah. Now, wasn't it Ultraman in the book? Ultraman versus Mechagodzilla? I think so, yes. Yeah. It would have, it, I Ultraman. believe it was Ultraman. Yeah. So, that was cool. which still works the same way, you know, yeah. but, you know. You, you still have both of these very uh, Japanese properties kind of going and head to head. And you got the head. timer. Yep. Yeah. So, it makes the fight more intense, yeah. Yep. But, you know, throwing Gundam in there, see, seeing that was just cool. My backup was the race at the beginning. I mean, that's such an exciting way to open the movie. Yeah. I mean, put you on the edge of your seat from the first second. That's just brilliant. And yeah, the race at, was a ton of fun. And you're looking at all the different cars that are there. Yeah. And, and you're and, and then it's cool because you learn a little bit about Wade also in that race. Well, I got to go to the back because he's going to be like scrounging coins off people that get like, you know, demolished. So. Yeah, low on gas because he got that something about Mary hairdo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Well, that brings us to best character. Uh, we've already talked about a couple best performances, and and I, I love that we were all three different on here. So I'm kind of interested to see where we go with best character. I really wasn't floored with any of our, you know, high five. Uh, I enjoyed them all, but th- I really wasn't floored with any of them. But one of them that kind of grabbed me, especially outside of the Oasis, was... Uh, Samantha, Artemis, uh, Olivia Cook. I, I just wanted to protect her. You know, you just want to make sure that she's okay. She's she's the leader of this rebellion, this group, but you know, she she played it, you know, so tough and and in control in the in the oasis. But when when you see her in the real world, you know, she's insecure. She's vulnerable. Uh, you know, you just just wanted to to help her and, and protect her. You just wanted to make sure she was okay. Uh, mine was another another one of the high five that apparently you weren't very impressed with. Um, I love H in this movie. I mean, I just and she, I love that she just loves everything to be over the top. Like mm-hmm. her avatar has to be this gigantic troll looking, you know, yeah. orc type character. When it's time for her to drive in the race. She's gonna be in a monster truck. She's gonna be in Bigfoot. Bigfoot. <laughs> and when and when she's you know when she's doing her like big commission that we're focused on, it's the Iron Giant. And it's full size. 
Mm-hmm. When it's time for the Battle Planet Doom, she gets in the Iron Giant, is the biggest character until Mecha Godzilla shows up. And but also she's the one who's terrified of horror movies. You know, it's just yeah. she's just a cool, interesting character. So yeah, I, I love H. All right. Um, you know, as as far as mine, I'm kind of uh, picking off of Dwayne's performance now. Uh, I know Jamie, you didn't like the portrayal of Halliday. And I think part of this, the reason that I like Halliday is because I guess in a lot of ways, even though he's kind of just a MacGuffin in this movie, um, I just, I guess maybe from reading the book and maybe just kind of getting attached to this kind of ultimate pop culture nerd. Um, and, and I've told, I told you guys, the moment you, you stick any type of nerd in, in, into to movie TV, I'm there. Um, you know, he is in some ways this poster boy for all of us with maybe a touch of arrested development. Um, and it's just one of those things that, that, I mean, I could just see it and just pause it and look around his bedroom and look at all the cool stuff from Robbie the Robot to the Rush poster to all of that stuff that's there. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, it's just this this pop culture world uh, that he's created. And so he's like like my hero because that's the world I live in a lot. So... <laughs> No, I, I think Halliday's a fabulous character. I just didn't enjoy the performance. Right. Yeah, that's my, that's my only beef. I've got no problem with the character whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just feel like they, they went a wrong direction. That's one of, the, one of the few things I think that they didn't do a good job adapting. Right. And that's, and that's just my two cents. Sure. It just, it, just, it didn't hit me right. Yeah, I get you. Okay, I really want to go last on quote because I've got like a four-way tie. <laughs> okay. Sam, lead us up. I know I'm leading off on this. Um, and I've got a – I don't know. I'll tell you what, got, if you've got a couple, I've got – What I've do only you got? got one. Yeah, Dwayne, I've only got, got? I've only got one, so we'll, we'll work our way down here. Mine is uh, H to Percival. She could be a 300-pound dude living in his mom's basement in Cleveland. <laughs> yep that was good. I mean, that's yeah that's I, I love h like like she could be and you know h completely gender swapped also in the game you know <laughs> completely <laughs> completely not what you get yeah and and yeah that was good okay I'll, 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 so hopefully it helped out it did but see i've got <laughs> one serious <laughs> and one funny so i okay i'm gonna go the serious i talked a lot about holiday um when holiday says I created the Oasis because I never felt at home in the real world. I just don't know how to connect with people there. I was afraid for all my life, right up to the day I knew my life was ending. And that was when I realized that as terrifying and painful as reality can be, it's also the only place that you can get a decent meal because reality is real. And, you know, like I said, I'm, you guys know me pretty well. Um, I walk a fine line sometimes between my pop culture love and reality. I can function reality enough, but, but sometimes I have to find that safe spot. And I, I just felt that quote really strongly um, in terms of, of, yeah, it's the real world. It's real. And that's a good place, 
you know, but also get that he just didn't feel at home in it. So I get there. Okay, that was one of mine, so that helps. Um, so I have three, though. Um, I, I, I'm gonna. Do you, do you want go. me to throw in my my honorable mention, and that might help you out? Well, let me see if it's one of mine. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm gonna go with one here. Um, right. So it's an Artemis meets Show, um, which I was really confused because he was Shoto in the book, right? I keep thinking Shoto. Yeah. Um, but she, she goes Show because he's a little kid, mm-hmm. and he goes, "What? Do I have to wear a sign saying I'm 11 years old? Shoot me first? <laughs> no thanks." <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of great gems. Yeah. And also, like when he when he when he uh, she tried to hug him, <laughs> he goes, "Ninjas don't hug." <laughs> <laughs> okay, what were your honorable mention, Sammy? I'm sorry. My honorable mention, and, and honestly, this just goes back to me, is the exchange between Z and Artemis. Some people can read War and Peace and come away thinking it's a simple adventure story. Others read the ingredients on a chewing gum wrapper and unlock the secrets of the universe. Of course, that's my Superman the movie love, so I always have to mention that. So. That was a good one. Um, also, there was another one that, like, I like the line, but it makes no sense who's saying it. When High Rock says, no man is a failure who has friends. Like, nobody wants you. <laughs> like, no, you have no friends. <laughs> neither, neither one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Neither one. Neither yeah. one. That's a good line. You can't be the one saying it. <laughs> All right. Um, Jamie, best adaptation from the book. Okay. This one was easy for me because I think that um, all, all of the key quests from the, from the book work really well on the page. Um, I mean, Joust, the doing the Broderick movie, whichever one it was, I still, I remember it being Ferris Bueller. Everybody tells me it's War Games. <laughs> me, and my wife, me and my wife already had this discussion earlier today. Um, but they work really well on paper, but they were not going to work in any kind of visual medium. And if you did this as a 13-episode, 13 13-hour 13 Netflix show, you would have to tinker with that. Uh, they, mm-hmm. these, those would not work well for visual medium. And, but they, they managed to make the key quest. They kept them nerdy. They're real nerdy, but they're exciting for a visual medium. I think that was the best adaptation from the book. Yeah, um, uh, that that was me. The the way that the uh, that the games, you know, the challenges were adapted, they weren't all. You know, and I was afraid after the the initial race at the beginning. You know, after this big arcade kill them all race, I was afraid we would get like just a series of, you know, just game skills. But I love that they went even through. You know, the the race was it was fun, but then you know you had the the shining. They and they actually had to think. You know, you had to know the movie. Had to think. You had mm-hmm. to know. Oh, the creator who hates his creation. You had to know the movie. You had to know his life. What was missed? But also, um, at the end, I still love you. Know, even though they could do the joust challenge, they brought it back to the original Easter egg in adventure. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know where where that was. Uh, that I thought well, that, was a ton that. of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a ton of fun, and and it really showed where where this pop culture started, where these mythology happened. You you had to find it, and you had to share it with someone for other people to know it. You know, this hidden room in a secret area in the middle of this game. Yeah. All right. Um, 
you know, obviously there's a, there was a whole lot that they had to adapt. You know, the original novel's pretty good size. Um, you know, it's a, what, I think good five, 600 page sucker. It, it, it's pretty thick. Um, but one of the things, and I agree with Dwayne as part of his pan, we didn't get Ready Player One, but that immersion into the Oasis, you know, that works really well in literature because you could do page breaks. You could do different things to make that transition between the real world and the Oasis. But to make that work on a visual level in a movie, I thought they did that pretty well. You know, we didn't get ready, you know, ready player one. I, I agree with Dwayne on that. But just as far as that immersion into the Oasis, I just I just dug it, man. Just the way that they were pulled in and that world to me, even though it was, you know, CGI was just as believable as the real world side. And I thought that was really cool. Well, yeah. our, and, I, and I agree. Um, and I think I think that, too, like in doing that, like I mean, if you remember the book, like um, Wade had to like on purpose, he kept like the basic avatar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I think that would have been a hindrance to that immersion like you were talking about, like being immersed in this in this secondary world. Mm-hmm. I think if he was walking around just you know, <laughs> like like a like a basic Wii character or something, I mean I, that would have hindered it. We would have, we would have kept seeing that. It would have been a hindrance. But him being like you know colorful and and strange like the other characters, I think that helped us fall even further into it being a and just and buying it as a secondary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they made it very visually interesting. Well, last uh, episode-specific award is the best or worst pop culture reference, and I get to lead off with this. And guys, I don't know if this is the right answer for anybody but me, but as I'm looking at Jamie's background, just over his right shoulder, I'm seeing the uh, Iron Giant. From the moment H activates that Iron Giant uh, before the battle on planet Doom, you could probably go ahead and just turn my waterworks on. Uh, I, I, I don't know what it is about that character. That movie has, you know, such a, such a special place. And then when you see this this creature interacting in this world and, and going through, it was, I just felt some emotions there. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was my favorite uh, interaction, you know, my favorite adaptation that they uh, referenced just that iron giant running around kicking butt and you know still you know giving that thumbs up yeah uh, you know being the bridge you know the, that vin diesel type voice you know with the, <laughs> all the emotions and and stuff that yeah that tore me up a little bit <laughs> all right well um Mine, we've already referenced a couple of times but it's in the final battle when when uh, dato shows up in the serenity and I'm just, you know, all like, we're back feeling all, all of the love from the Firefly show and movie automatically just show up. And he drops out the back, does this dynamic flip, turns into Gundam before he hits the ground. It's just a really cool scene, packing in a lot of nerdiness. Mm-hmm. That, that, one, that one did it for me. All right. I, I, I love that we've all picked something that was special that that took us back to a moment. So we've mentioned IROC before. Right. And some of his weird quotes. But my best pop culture reference is when he looks at Sorrento and says, you never lick. 
you bite straight to the chocolatey center of the <laughs> Remember that old commercial with the owl? Yes, I do. I rock every Saturday morning while I eat my cereal and watch cartoons. So, yes, uh, I just love the way that this big, imposing, lobo-looking character <laughs> references the Tootsie Pop commercial. And I just... <laughs> And I just love it. So Woodsy, you know, not, well, it wasn't Woodsy the Owl. That was something else. But uh, but yeah, I just, I loved it. Yeah, so. the Tootsie Pop Owl, yeah. Yep. Exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> well, guys, of all of the skins and all of the environments in this movie, we didn't get a Neo skin. I didn't even see a Bill and Ted or Speed skin. However... Halliday mentions maybe we can go back really fast. Bill and Ted did it. Mm-hmm. So we know there's a connection to some characters by our beloved Keanu. But is there any other connection in this movie, Jamie? There is. I almost took the easy way out and used the Sriptos Bill and Ted line. Bill and Ted line. <laughs> um, <laughs> But there was actually a Keanu connection in it for a new movie. This was unbelievably time-consuming. But this week's Keanu connection was in the biggest department in the making of this movie. And he played an important role in that department. He was one of over 1,100 people who worked in either the special effects or visual effects departments. And it felt like about 70% of this movie involved special effects one way or another. And personally, I think that he and his own Gunter clan of special effects gurus made a great-looking movie. This isn't the first time he's been involved in great-looking movies. He worked on Spider-Man Far From Home, Ghost in the Shell, which whatever you think about the controversy of that movie, it was a good-looking movie. Uh, A couple of the Mission Impossible movies. Uh, And he was a pyrotechnician, whatever that is. I'm assuming he got to play with fire on Inception. Um... (laughs) Working on a couple of the later day Terminator flicks. Whatever you think of those. Uh, Twilight. I'm assuming he helped make that movie look as good as it did for the budget they had. American Sniper, Bright, and a lot of others. But Michael Kay was the special effects foreman on Ready Player One. He was also a special effects technician on Constantine, starring our beloved Keanu. So Michael Kay and Constantine rescued me this week. And R, this week's Keanu Connection. <gasps> Kaboom. All right. I love a good drawback to Constantine. Oh, yeah. And I love a good pyrotechnician. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about pop culture references. There you go. And just, <laughs> a, just a, a little glimpse into how hard that was to find. He was in a department with 1,100 people in it. And I found him. Found him. Work with Keanu. <laughs> That's oh my, that's some dedication right there, my man. That's some dedication right there. Well, guys, we do thank our dedicated listeners. Uh, we uh, appreciate you uh, sticking with us uh, time after time, coming maybe popping in to visit randomly, whatever, however you find us and consume us. We enjoy having you, we enjoy doing this. So, we uh, hope to bring some people along with it next week. Jamie has picked from us our last 
entry into our Spielberg months. Sir, what have you brought for the offering? This thing has a lot going for it. It's a Spielberg movie. So we're closing out Spielberg month, right? This movie actually directed by him. Um, it's also a Philip K. Dick movie based on one of his uh, beloved stories. It's also a Tom Cruise flick. So we, we're watching Minority Report. You know, some highbrow sci-fi, some cool action, um, some special effects worthy of Michael K. Um, I think we're going to have a good time closing out Spielberg month. Yeah, this is one we're definitely interested in getting into. Um, if you have Amazon Prime, it is free to stream on Prime. Also, Pluto TV has it for free. And anywhere else, um, you're going to find it for a $2.99 rental, except for Apple. They want an extra buck, $3.99 there. So if you have Apple TV, it'll be $3.99. Uh, so uh, check it out on any of those platforms and check back with us next week as we bring you our review. Finishing out our summer blockbuster month with Steven Spielberg. Uh, Jamie, as we queue up the Minority Report. We're going to avoid even considering committing a crime as we keep it nerdy. <laughs>